0: and welcome to the show this is episode number 112 of pop culturally deprived and today we're going to be talking about grand canyon on your it doesn't have to make sense podcast i'm andy Kay,
1: and i'm matthew Vose. so we're back with steve martin kind of this is not really a steve martin film um it, this was a, a twofer he then released another film about la shortly after
0: which movie was that
1: uh la story which i think he wrote but i i don't know whether i've never read anything about whether this was an impact on him writing that or if he just wanted to do two sides of the city i think mm. we'll talk about that later but um okay it, it, yeah for someone who did not grow up in the city this then became something for for two major films for him
0: hmm okay Ooh. interesting
1: um how come you've never watched grand canyon
0: i had actually never heard of it until you suggested it okay should i have heard of it
1: I don't know. Like, it is a good film, and I feel like it's a famous film for doing what it does, but it's not one that gets aired very often.
0: Well, and to be fair, I was only nine in 1991, so not the target audience for this movie. Mm. Mm. (laughs) So, Grand Canyon is a 1991 drama produced and directed by Lawrence Kasdan, who wrote it with his wife, Meg. Its ensemble cast features Kevin Kline, Danny Glover, Steve Martin, Mary McDonnell, Mary Louise Parker, and Alfred Woodard. It was nominated for the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay and received generally favorable reviews, though it did poorly at the box office, taking in less than $41 Roger Ebert did give it four out of four stars, and he named it as fourth on his top ten list for 1991. So this movie is... About random events affecting a diverse group of people exploring the race and class-imposed chasms which separate members of the same community.
1: Yeah, that's fair.
0: I did not write that for full disclosure. I took okay. that right out of the Wikipedia article, actually. <laughs> I didn't even look to see what IMDb said about it because I read that and I was like, that is spot on.
1: Mm. So it, this is not a film that's aired very often or available many places. Was it available anywhere over there?
0: The only place I could find it was it was on demand on Stars. Okay. So I actually had to get the Stars channel on Amazon so I could watch it. Like it wasn't even available to rent. I think I could have bought the DVD.
1: Hmm. But hmm. The, the the Stars channel has got some good films over here. So yeah. If, if you've got it for a week or a month, there's some good stuff in there. You might want to look up. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Uh yeah, same over here. Couldn't find it anywhere, ended up buying the DVD for fifty P a pound. <laughs> Not Oh much. wow. Okay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> was it new or second hand?
1: Well it was in plastic, but it was a uh, Amazon purchase, so I suspect it was second hand, but they had a plastic adding machine.
0: Right, right. Okay, mm-hmm. gotcha.
1: Okay, uh, big cast. So let's hit the high spots. What's your experience of Kazdan and Kevin Klein, Danny Glover, Mary McDonnell?
0: So we've previously talked about Kazdan on French Kiss, um, which he directed. I know him best as a writer. I was surprised to see the big things that his name was on because I've never actually heard his name before. Oh. Um, he wrote The Empire Strikes Back, Raiders mm. of the Lost Ark, Return of the Jedi, The Force Awakens. Uh, and The Bodyguard, oddly enough. Yeah. Um, so he he's definitely done more as a writer than he has as a director or, or producer.
1: Yeah. The only other film he's directed that I think I've seen is um, Dreamcatcher, which is a Stephen King adaptation. Okay. Which I only saw because of a short that was screened before it that I wanted to see. Mm. And then decided I might as well stay in the cinema. <laughs> right. Uh, the, the jury's out whether I should have done it or not. Right. <laughs>
0: He also did The Big Chill, which I have not seen, but is apparently very, very famous.
1: Yeah, I think this is a kind of follow-up similar idea to...
0: Yeah, I think this one was advertised as The Big Chill of the 90s, Mm. which makes me curious about The Big Chill. I have no idea what it's about. I've only ever heard the title. Okay. So there's that. Uh, Kevin Klein. we've talked about him on the show before. Um, He was in French Kiss. He was in A Hunchback. He was in the live action of Beauty and the Beast. Uh, Danny Glover, mostly general just knowledge and awareness of who he is. Um, I've seen him because I know he was in the Lethal Weapon movies, even though I haven't seen those. Um, I've actually seen him in The Color Purple and some TV stuff, but I couldn't actually name anything. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, And Mary McDonnell, of course, will always be Stands with a Fist from Dances with Wolves for me. And then the President in Battlestar Galactica and the President's Wife in Independence Day. I swear that woman doesn't age.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think Independence Day is what I know her best from.
0: Okay. Hmm. Yeah, no, she. I first found her in Dances with Wolves, and so that's who she's always been to me.
1: Right. Okay. Um. In terms of similar things, I mean, this is very much about Los Angeles as a city. Have you been to Los Angeles? And have you watched many films about LA itself?
0: Well, I've never actually been to, like, LA proper. I've flown through LAX and I've been to Hollywood. But that's really about it. Everything else that I know is from the movies or Angel. Right. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We've actually done a few movies on the show that are set in... L.A., like The Big Lebowski, Pulp Fiction, Die Hard, The Graduate, most recently Sunset Boulevard, um, Heat was set in L.A., um, other famous movies, Speed, Clueless, Terminator 2, you know, it is a long list of movies that seem to take place in L.A. Um, yeah. So I kept looking, I was looking at lists that like define L.A. or the, mm. or the, the definitive L.A. movies, and by and large, most of the movies on those lists are movies I haven't seen. Yeah. It's very bizarre to
1: me. Yeah, it's kind of this L.A. story and, um, oh, what's it called? L.A. Confidential.
0: Yes, and I have seen either of those. Right.
1: And, and Anything else on those lists? Anything worth mentioning that we should look for?
0: Mm, I don't think so. Those were the ones that I saw the most. Mm. Um, I, I also I saw Mulholland Drive show up a few times.
1: Okay. Mm, okay. Okay. Mm. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But again, mo- most of the movies I saw were, were things I haven't seen. And so I'm only familiar with my name or I'm not familiar with them at all. Okay. Um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High is on the list already.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Amy Heckling, of course, who did Clueless and many other films.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so I suspect we'll, we'll have a few more on the show okay. in the coming years.
1: Okay. Um. So, Grand Canyon, did you enjoy it?
0: Sort of. I expected to enjoy it very, very much. Okay. But it ended up being a think piece, and I wasn't expecting that. Uh,
1: Ah. What were you expecting?
0: I was expecting... I think I was expecting a movie more like Parenthood. Okay. Where it was really more... Not really a plot, but just scenes from the life of this group of people, and maybe how their lives intersect. And that's not really what I got. We got a movie with a message a movie that's trying very very hard to tell us a message mm. and that was unexpected
1: okay what do you think that message is
0: well I, I think i mean it goes back to kind of what i stole for this synopsis it's about okay. how race and class affect people
1: okay and and, and what do you think the the message that's trying to tell us is because <laughs> <laughs> you know i i agree with you yes that's what it's about um but if it's got a thing that it's trying to say like oh this is bad this is good there are ways of overcoming it um there are ways of dealing with it
0: i think ultimately it's trying to say i mean i think they said it outright up front when danny glover's character simon says this isn't how it's supposed to be and then that's bookended with the, one of the final lines of the film when they're actually at the Grand Canyon where he says it's not all bad. So the movie kind of shows us all of these larger-than-life examples of how things aren't good. I think at one point they talk about how the country's gone to shit. There's a lot of violence. There's a lot of random violence in this. And, and there's a lot of just negative things that happen in the lives of these people, Hmm. whether it's directly to them or just tangentially related to them. But we get the idea that the world can be different and it should be different. But the movie doesn't tell us how. It just says this is a thing that we believe can happen. But it spends so much time showing us how things are bad that we never quite get to that other point.
1: Yeah. It's a really strange thing because the film itself is a painful snapshot of Los Angeles at this time. It's mm-hmm. after the Rodney King tape was made, after he was arrested. Arrested in inverted commas, obviously. Right. Um, but it is before the trial where the police officers, I think, were acquitted. So it's just before the LA race riots. Uh huh. So this is a really. It's a powder keg ready to explode. Uh, Things are going to happen and not necessarily change because of them. It was interesting you said that I think it's a quote from the film about the country's gone to hell. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's representative of the country or do you think it is speaking to the city and this part of this state?
0: That's a really hard question to answer from 2018. Okay. Because from 2018, you know, I'm re- I'm watching this movie thinking, wow, nothing's changed. Hmm. It's really depressing. And so I see it as an indictment on the country. I'm not sure what the Kasdans intended, honestly. Okay. It is so very heavily set in L.A. And it's so very heavily dependent on the different neighborhoods in L.A. that it it almost feels like they're specifically talking about that city and the neighborhoods in that city. Because of the way they talk about where Mac's car broke down and how they want to get simon 's sister out of her neighborhood into a new neighborhood, mm. it feels very localized to l a but they do make comments about the country as a whole um, Mac does his wife does simon does and and so it it could be just using the city as an example of the country as a whole, okay, which may be what they were intending. Which gives it a much more lasting message because, God, it's really depressing. Mm-hmm. The more things change, the more they stay the same, I think.
1: Do Do you think anything that's showed here speaks to uh, your experience of America or the experience of people outside of the state? Is Is it still something you can go, yeah, I can I can see what they're doing. They're talking about the, the where the country has ended up. It's not just, okay, people from L.A. again, okay.
0: Yeah, no, it's definitely not people from L.A. Okay. It's not necessarily things I've personally experienced in my life, but they're things that I've seen happen to other people. They're things I see on the news. You know, recently we've had, you know, Charlottesville protests. We've had Ferguson. Hmm. You know, So many things have happened over the last four or five years that are very reminiscent of this very particular time period that this movie is talking about, that it's, It's definitely not isolated to L.A. or even to California.
1: Right. Okay. So there's a line from Steve Martin's character. Uh, He says, that's part of your problem. You haven't seen enough movies. All of life's riddles are answered in the movies, which is a good philosophy. Um, I I think I've said before, movies are a good way of understanding the world and stories are a good way of understanding yourself and how problems and things should be treated. This film, this movie in particular, does not really answer any of its own riddles. I think, like like you were saying on top, it it sets up that there's a message of things should be better. But it doesn't then give us anything further to take to that. Uh, uh, Are the Kasdans, the people who wrote this, are they being obtuse in not answering it? Or are they just trying to present life?
0: Well, I don't think they're being obtuse. I think... I think they're actually being way too artsy with this movie. I I think there's something to be said in asking a question without giving an answer because you want your audience to think about these things and you want the audience to come up with the answer. Mm -hmm. But I think this movie is so full of symbolism and big meaning, but I feel like it's done too overtly. I feel like I found myself focusing on how they mashed everything together and how they used all of these larger than life examples That I didn't actually get to experience the story that I was being told. You know, real life doesn't work like that. And so when you're telling a movie that's supposed to be a snapshot of life, it needs to be relatable. And this wasn't relatable. It was all just a little bit too much. It was too many things happening to too few people. Right, I think, and so to tell the story that they really wanted to tell, to ask the questions that they really wanted to ask, I felt like it needed a bit more subtlety than what we got, mm. and and so that's that's where I found myself struggling. That's why I, I'm straddling this line between liking it and not liking it because I really like the idea, I like what they were trying to do. I just don't think the execution was done really well.
1: Is, is there anything you think they could have done? differently better changed removed that either might have made you like it or might have improved it in either direction
0: that's a tough question i I feel like it would mostly have needed to be done completely differently but i'm not entirely sure how like i can't come up with specifics but things like finding an abandoned baby just left in the woods Mm and then oh i'm not gonna call the cops i'm gonna keep this baby Mm -hmm. happening at the same time as we've got the kid in the gang happening at the same time as davis randomly just getting shot in the middle of a busy crowded street because he wouldn't give the mugger his rolex when he's offering up his car Mm -hmm. like it was not believable at all I don't know. That's just, that's where I found myself getting stuck is is there were just too many big, big things happening Okay. to the same group of people.
1: Hmm.
0: Like having Mac experience what he experienced when his car broke down within a few days of his wife finding an abandoned baby within a few days of Davis getting shot on the street. You know, those things aren't going to happen to this group of people that close together.
1: See that, that's interesting because a number of the reviewers did pick up on, and I think there were comments about actually it does feel realistic, and it is giving a, a, a example of the situations of life in the city. So is it, I think
0: it, individually it, they are, but I think it was just too much too soon. Okay, I, I think that's where I got stuck.
1: So are there any of the stories you would if we're saying? Maybe there's a couple too many in there. Is there anything you would have taken out? Anything you would have gone, okay, we can live without that. And let's flesh out these other stories a bit more.
0: So this movie actually got put on our list because we were talking about Steve Martin movies and Steve Martin is in it. But I think of all the characters that were in it, Steve Martin's character is the one that we could most do without. Mm. He's in it so little. He has very little screen time. Very very few lines overall. I mean, he does a fantastic job. I love watching this side of of Steve Martin's acting, his work, because we don't see him do dramatic things very often, and he does it very well. But for the purposes of the story, it just seemed like it was another larger-than-life example of these chasms that they're trying to show us, but it didn't seem to have much actual depth to me. They kind of just wanted an opportunity to weave in another Grand Canyon allegory. They used him to do that. But overall, I think they could have cut everything. All of his scenes made the movie 20 minutes shorter. And we still would have gotten the same messages. Okay. And the same thing with Roberto going to camp. Like, Mm. I don't know that we needed the scene of him comforting the child. It was a nice scene. Don't get me wrong. It was, it was very sweet. It was wonderful to see that this, 15 year old boy has such compassion and kindness in him it's great but it had no bearing on the overall story
1: yeah that's definitely the one I have taken out I, th- I think it works better with the idea of he's just gone now and so she has uh, the, the, the one of the views is that she has this hole in her life that she wants to fill by having another baby mm-hmm. um, another one is that she it's not necessarily another baby that she wants to find a thing, but she does find a baby, so right, that's what she sort of gloms onto,
0: yeah, um, yeah, and I mean, I understand that they were using him going to camp and meeting the girl as just another stepping stone where they're showing us that he is growing up, he's going to be leaving home, which is causing these issues for her, but like you say, it could have been done just by having him leave and not even be part of the story, yeah. Um, and, and so, again, that probably would have cut another 10 minutes out of this movie. This movie was very long.
1: <laughs> it was not.
0: It was like two hours and 15 minutes. It's very long for a movie from
1: 1991. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm torn over whether you could just lift out Steve Martin's character. I think it would be interesting to see a movie about living in Los Angeles with no one. Related to the entertainment industry. Mm. But at the same time, it's such a big facet of, of the, the that area of the country that it would almost scream of, well, no, they'd know someone or, or you could have someone. And I think because they're trying to show kind of blue collar worker, white collar worker and the one percent, you know, someone who is clearly very successful, very rich and thinks he's the boss of everyone.
0: Maybe. I think I would have appreciated his character more if they hadn't been so in your face with the violence stuff with him. Okay. Because he made, I mean, he's made his career on these over-the-top, bombastic, very violent movies. Hmm. That's that's what he does. And so then he has this random act of violence happen to him. And then all of a sudden he's seen the light. He's changing his ways. He's He's going to not do violence anymore is what he says he Mm -hmm. wants to devote his life to other things because it's senseless but then the next time we see him uh, that was just a few minutes I was delusional I'm I'm gonna go back to doing what I'm doing
1: yeah you know doesn't stick
0: it doesn't stick it doesn't change and and so for for a movie that's trying to give us a message about violence in the world using such a specific violent example and being so explicit about how it doesn't change just felt a little bit too much spoon-feedy. Like, they didn't trust the audience to get the message, so we're going to give you this example of what we're trying to say. Okay. And I, I just don't feel like it was necessary.
1: Right, okay. <sighs> Could you have done any of that better, differently? Is it just it needs to come out? Because we have the threat of violence to Kevin Klein early on.
0: I, I think between the threat of violence that we had to Kevin Klein early on, the the violence, quote unquote violence, because it's not actually violence, but finding an abandoned child can be considered an act of violence, I think. And then we've got the whole gang thread hmm. with Simon Sister's house being shot up in the drive by Otis. is that his name? The teenager? Yeah. Otis Oscar? I think it was Otis. You know, him having the moment where he's covered in blood and he's obviously seen something very violent. I think all of those things are enough. I don't think that we need this specific, because it's still, by using Steve Martin's character and his job, they're being explicit with the violence, but it's still sugar-coated because... Yeah, okay, he got shot, which is an actual random act of violence, but by using his experience with violence in the movies, deciding he's not going to to pursue that anymore, and then changing his mind, it's sugarcoating it, because that's still violence in the movies, Mm -hmm. and the movie itself is trying to tell us a message about violence in the world, and so they're giving us this example that's just very sugarcoated and still very rooted in fantasy, that I feel like it's just unnecessary, and it, it just takes the message over the top.
1: Yeah, you've made you've made me wonder: is that why the violence, the the, the one real genuine bit of violence we get in the film is directed against him? they're, they're showing, like they're showing these kind of three classes. Um. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't have that, there'd be a sense of, oh, the the poor and the middle class, they're the people who have violence against them and who get robbed and get held up. But actually, it happens to everyone. And in some ways, he's the one who has it worse because he has the possessions. If you didn't show that, it would just be about the misery of people who uh, don't have money and don't have the flash cars.
0: Mm, Maybe.
1: Hmm. Because I, I, I do like that it does try to show lots of different views of the, the same thing, all the different angles of it, and how no one is necessarily happy, content. Um, Everyone's looking for a bit of change. You could argue Danny Glover is the closest to it. Mm-hmm. He has a bit of a kind of, uh, you know, mental role or something going on with it. He's so happy with his lot, which is okay, but he's then trying to help everyone else through it as well. His work is never done. I particularly love his whole bit with the the guys at the beginning who are possibly going to mug Kevin Klein, and mm-hmm. the combination of that where the guy asks him, you know, are, are you showing me respect because I have a gun or because of me? And he says, look, if you didn't have the gun, we wouldn't have this conversation. And that is just pure honesty, mm-hmm. um, and it's very, very good way of dealing with it. But it does then speak to, him, and you, the only answer you can give is the answer the guy says is, that's why I carry a gun. Right. Which is not a defense of guns. It's not a positive message about them. But it is a very honest way of talking about the the situation with guns and gun violence. Right. Hmm. Um, let's talk a bit on Kevin Klein himself on Mac, I think was the character. Yes. I, I think the film does a lot of work to make him come across in a certain way. What were your feelings about Mac?
0: Generally, I liked him. Mm-hmm. Cheating on his wife aside. Because that... Ugh. I hated that thread. I hated Mm -hmm. it. But in general, he's a generally good guy who wants to do good things. You know, he asks the right questions. I like that they brought up when, um, you know, he goes back to Simon and he takes him out to breakfast and then he's telling him about the the drive-by and and Mac immediately says, well, I know somebody who has apartments for rent in this other neighborhood. I can talk to them. Mm. And... My immediate thought was, oh, God, white savior. But they very explicitly call it out. Mac turns around and asks Simon, why did you not want to do this? Is it what I'm thinking? Is it something else? And, you know, he specifically says, well, I was thinking it's because I'm the white guy. It's the white thing. And I really liked that they called that out, that it Mm. wasn't like the movie itself wasn't making a character who was a white savior. They made a character who genuinely cares about people and wants to help, regardless of who those people are. And I think that's that's why I liked him. You know, you saw him rushing to help his neighbor after the earthquake when he collapsed. Mm -hmm. You know, you see him trying to help Simon because Simon helped him and he wants to pay that back. You see him teaching his kid how to drive in in a very calm and collected way. You know, everything that he does seems to be because he wants the world to be better. And I just appreciated that about him.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it does a lot to make him a nice guy, relatable, trying to do good stuff in the world. Is it trying to make a comment? And, and this is a 1991 film, so it's probably not. It's probably just showing what guys are like in inverted commas. The fact that the opening of the film is he's at, he's got floor seats to watch Magic Johnson with the Lakers. I want to say.
0: Yes, it's the Lakers
1: with the basketball sports team. Um, <laughs> see, I make that joke as though I'm not in sports at all. Um, No, he's he's floor seats watching Magic Johnson. But he's not watching Magic Johnson. He's watching all the pretty girls in the crowd. And then we find out he's cheating his wife. We see him having dreams about the secretary. Mm -hmm. Which I suspect is just an excuse for them to get Mary Louise Parker topless. Yes. And then him trying to be a nice person so that it's not his fault that she's fallen for him and is having to leave her job. And she's the one who... Uh, suffers as a consequence of this. Is it trying to make a comment on the way men treat women or the way he is? Or is it just, this is a thing and we want to put some pretty women in our film.
0: I feel like if they were trying to make a comment about it, they would have indicted him more and they didn't. Okay. He still comes out of it as a good guy Mm -hmm. to the point where I wish that Mary Louise Parker's character wasn't even in it. Okay. Because it doesn't add to the story. It muddies the story. Mm. It muddies his character in a way that it doesn't need to be muddied, because he either needs to be somebody who is terrible to women, and they need to make a statement on what that means, or that he just needs to be himself. And I think they're just trying to show him this is this is just a man. This is what he does. Mm. And from the '90s, I think you know, going to a basketball game to watch Pretty women is probably from the perspective of a film okay it's very male gazey but that was okay in 1991 Uh, i just yeah i wish they had just taken her character out i don't think it needs to be there um we could have found another way to have jane in the story to introduce jane to simon okay i I don't know how i mean she she could have just been a secretary who he wasn't sleeping with Mm. you know just somebody that we see in his life
1: yeah, and is it supposed to lead into the feeling of he and Mary McDonald aren't necessarily right together or aren't going to stay together, but ultimately they do when he's happy with the baby? Again, it's, it's another plot line that we don't fulfill, we don't follow through. Mm-hmm. We just see a, another resolution to it a, a short period later. Right. Hmm. But coupled with Steve Martin, it does I, – I like you saying it muddies the waters – yeah, absolutely. The, these characters are not necessarily clear water. Um, and it's, it's almost problematic as well that it's the, you know, working Joe who drives a tow truck and rescues him and is then good and then teaches him uh, some of the meaning of life and takes him out to the Grand Canyon. That's a very pompous way to set the character in the story <laughs> that he's the one who has no problems and is all happy and on top of things.
0: Yeah. I mean, they tried to give him problems because he has a deaf daughter. Oh, no. It's so terrible to have a deaf daughter. Who we don't see, do we? No, we never no. see. We see pictures of her. And I mean, she's... clearly he has a good relationship with her. But I think that mm-hmm. they did that to show that his life isn't perfect. Yeah.
1: But she's not named.
0: No, she's, <laughs> she's not, not named.
1: seen on screen. Okay. <laughs> Finally, let's, let's get into his sister's family a bit more. So that's the one that speaks to the gang experience in los Mm -hmm. angeles which oh i think neither you or i really can speak to
0: exactly um
1: but it's particularly coupled with all the interstitial shots you get throughout the film absolutely constantly one scene to another a shot of a helicopter flying over the city Mm -hmm. um or sirens or something Uh, and i'm sure i read something when i watched this ages ago about how um they wanted to have all this in there to show that there was always something going on. There was always a siren. There was always some sort of accident or, or bad thing happening. And it feels very much edited together in the same way as, like, MASH or Apocalypse Now or Platoon. Just this constant, there is a war going on. Mm-hmm. But they're just doing it with uh, police and traffic and other helicopters. But in this very much the same style. Uh,
0: Come what do I have to say about this? I... I like what they were trying to do. I don't Mm -hmm. like how they did it. Okay. Again, this is... It's too explicit. It's too in-your-face. It's too... It's too much. It's like, hey, we're going to keep showing you this shot of a helicopter because we need you to know that it means something. And it could have been done so much subtler than it was. Like, if they had just had helicopters in the background instead of focusing on the helicopters, it would have been more impactful I think to me Mm -hmm. because when watching it I was mostly just distracted why are there so many helicopters I don't understand (laughs) like what do they have to do with anything because they didn't have to do with anything it was literally just we're gonna cut from a shot of Mary McDonald to a shot of a helicopter and then we're gonna go back to somebody else like it's not even a helicopter in the same scene it's just the helicopter gets to be by itself and and so I feel like it was Honestly, it feels a little bit like an undergrad English paper on symbolism. Okay. is really what this movie feels like. It's, it's They took every possible thing they could possibly think of to symbolize the messages that they were trying to get across, and they just shoved them all in together in this one script instead of trying to weave them together in a way that actually makes sense. And I feel like I would have enjoyed it so much more if it hadn't been so in your face. Okay. I think that's what I keep coming back to is right. I just feel like they were just shoving so much down my throat with we got to make sure that you get that we're talking about L.A. as a war zone. So here's a helicopter. Here's a siren. Here's some gun violence. But at the same time, it's intended to be a relatable day in the life of these characters. Right. And you can't have both of those at the same time.
1: Mm. I, I wonder if some of this is, again, coming to it so many years later. Uh, again, just looking at the, the critics of the time, speaking very much to, uh, it really does show some of the, uh, it considers the ever-widening widening chasms that divide us. Um, and Roger Ebert uh, himself had a comment of, in a time when our cities are wounded, that there's a, there was a real feeling of this is showing some of the darkness and difficulty that's going on. And it is part of it also because you've got people like Danny Glover and Steve Martin in it. You need to be a little bit more overt about what you're showing because you might join a different crowd who would watch this because of the star power, but not necessarily look for symbolism and not really consider it. So you have to be a bit more obvious with, Mm. hey, by the way, this is what I'm showing you.
0: You're much more generous than I am. (laughs) No, I mean, you may be right. Absolutely. that th- It was probably done very intentionally for reasons. And they're just reasons that, that coming at it today from my particular perspective, hmm. I don't understand. Right. And perhaps if I had been this age in 1991 and seen it then, I would. I don't know. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I'd love to try and find out what was anything written about this a year or two later in Los Angeles and what it showed and what it was speaking to. Did it seem almost prophetic in the way it shows a very violent, very dangerous city? Possibly. I don't know. I don't know. I think we should stop taking it apart. <laughs> we probably picked it apart enough. Was there anything in this? So you're, you're on the fence about whether you enjoyed it or not. What, what is on the side of the fence that made you enjoy it?
0: So there was a line up front um, pretty close to the beginning when – Mac takes Simon to breakfast and they're having this whole conversation before they leave. And they're talking about whether or not you get involved with other people's lives. And and this is part of that whole white savior conversation. You know, how do you help people? Do you get involved? That sort of thing. And Mac has a line where he says, you don't want to fuck with things you shouldn't, but you don't always want to turn away either. And I love that line. Mm -hmm. I think it's just, it's an interesting line because this is something that we've talked about even recently in my house is if you see something happening to someone, would you get involved? And, oh gosh, this came up. I don't even remember how this came up. It was a conversation about, you know, if you were driving a car behind another car and you saw that somebody had kicked out the taillight of that car and there was a hand sticking out waving because they've been stuffed in this trunk. Would you do anything? Would you call the cops? Would you try to stop it? And the people I was having this conversation with, some of them were like, absolutely, yeah. And others were like, no. Like, that's not my life. I don't know what's happening. I'm not going to get involved. I don't get involved in stuff that's not me because I don't know what that could possibly be. And so straddling that line is something that I think most people have to live with is how involved do you get in other people's lives when you see things happening and that they spoke to that so directly here and address that specifically made me sit up and say that's a great way to look at it like you don't want to but sometimes you do and you have to figure out when you make that choice Yeah. Did I completely lose you with that story?
1: Yeah. I'm not sure I have anything to add on to that.
0: (laughs) I just, I thought it was a really nice way to talk Mm. about human perspective.
1: Yeah. It is a really way, a a really interesting thought to put out there. And that's exactly what this film, I think, is doing all the way through, putting out these thoughts of actually consider the way we're living and what we're doing and what we're doing to other people.
0: Right. It doesn't
1: have the answers, but it's going to try and make you ask the questions.
0: Yes, exactly. Mm. Um, I really liked the scene where Mac was teaching Roberto how to drive. Really? Because I did, because he, he was so calm. He was so good at it. He was so encouraging, even when they almost had a very, very serious wreck. He still, he didn't get mad. He didn't yell. You know, and it, it was very, I don't know, it was just so encouraging. And it was, it was a way that I wish more parents were he was patient i think and maintaining patience in that particular scenario was not something that i would personally be able to do and so i really appreciated it
1: that's fascinating because i just watched that and think this guy's awful he should not be teaching this kid to drive
0: oh wow really
1: yeah like the kid is not capable confident enough yet to even be oh hello (laughs) <laughs> the kid is not capable or confident enough yet to change lanes properly, and he's saying, "Hey, what are you going to do at this junction? Oh, I'm going to turn left," and and then he lets him, <laughs> and then the turn left is incredibly difficult. It, he as the as the adult in the car, the person who knows how to drive, should have been saying, "Yeah, perhaps not. Perhaps let's go to let's go to San Dimas down the road. You know, a really quiet town, <laughs> and then let's prac Let's just practice it a bit there." And then we'll come back and do it in Los Angeles. No, no, no. You need to learn it sometime. So let's throw you into.
0: Okay. That, that is absolutely a fair perspective. <laughs> I was just reminded of my own experiences learning how to drive with my stepdad teaching me. Right. And I, I learned how to drive in a van that looked exactly like that one. Okay. With the wood paneling on the sides and, and the blue metal. Mm. And it was very much, let's just go do it. You know, I mean, I, I learned three-point turns on a dirt road where there was no traffic. But right. in general, we went and just drove. Now, and I didn't grow up in a place anywhere near as busy yeah, LA. I was
1: about to say, like, learning in Valley or probably any city in um, North Carolina is going to be a bit different from Los Angeles. Probably. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just – I thought that given the situation, like – as a parent, he could have completely exploded and blown up at him for making the mistake and almost getting them killed. And he didn't. And that's fantastic.
1: Yes. That's all. No, his his reaction to it was very good. Him as a teacher. Mm, yeah.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will give you that one. And then I think even though I really believe Steve Martin's character could have been completely taken out of this movie, he had a quote that was completely irrelevant to this movie, but it's one that I think over and over in my life, and for him to have put it into words on screen just delighted me to no end. And it's when Mac hands his handkerchief to Vanessa, after, he's taking, after they're taking uh, Davis home from the hospital, and Davis is like, What is the theory on this handkerchief thing? I mean, after you blow your nose on it, you put it back in your pocket and then you see someone in distress and you, like, give them this gift from your pocket and they're supposed to be grateful as they wipe it all over their face? Yes, that is exactly how I feel about handkerchiefs. And I loved it.
1: I mean, if you're carrying around a dirty handkerchief, you're doing it wrong.
0: But I mean, it's not dirty when you put it in your pocket, but as soon as you blow your nose, it's dirty.
1: Yeah, well, okay, you wouldn't give someone a handkerchief that you've blown your nose into. And if you burn your nose into your handkerchief, you then put it in the wash later and pick up a clean one? <laughs> surely. Surely. As it's as just, someone who carries yeah, handkerchiefs. yeah, that's what you're
0: supposed to do, but I don't get it. I don't get it.
1: <laughs> I do admittedly carry them for the times that we go to the theatre or the movies and there's crying scenes. And it's very useful to be able to ha- hand them subtly to the person next to me.
0: Aww. <laughs> Such a gentleman, Matthew.
1: Although I ran out of handkerchiefs when we saw A Monster Course, because there was a lot of weeping through that one.
0: (laughs) Okay, I'm not familiar with that one. Mm, Yeah. So what about you? Do you have, I mean, you have clearly defended this movie, our whole conversation, so I I think it's safe to say you enjoy it. So what what did you enjoy the most? Uh,
1: There is not much in this that stands out that I go, that is really good. I really enjoyed that. Um, it is just a good film that poses questions. And I think the fact it is such a strong snapshot of the situation at the time, which I think you're absolutely right, is not too different from some of the situation now. But it is very difficult for a film to do this, and I think to do it as well as it does. But a couple of small moments that I did quite enjoy watching it. Uh The bit, like you say, where... Uh, there's the earthquake. Kevin Klein's neighbor collapses and they go to help him. Kevin Klein leaps over the fence like he is a big goddamn hero. Yeah, he Just does. in one bound, he's over and he's going to help. I don't think he's a good driving instructor. He's a good rescuer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Um, and I do quite like, I, 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 this is what made me want to pose the question. I like that his character is shades of gray. Because a lot of people are like that, I think. I think absolutely, it could do more to ask the question about whether we should like him or not, and it doesn't do that. But again, it's a very hard thing to sort of do that, and the, work, the the film itself has to work very hard to make us like him. But Steve Martin does have a line similar to the one I said earlier when he's talking about movies, but it does stand out as being very, very honest. And this could almost be a strap line for my life. There is so much rage going around; we're damn lucky we have the movies to help us vent it. And that is a really good way to, to put it, because movies can help us understand the world, understand ourselves. It, they can help us figure out problems or think about situations or be empathetic to things we see. And they can be pure escapism and fun and something interesting to put in front of our eyes. Yeah. I think movies are great.
0: I never would have guessed that you thought that. <laughs> <laughs> I I knew that you were going to identify with Steve Martin's character. Um, just from a few of the lines that he had. Whenever whenever he did do the the line about that we talked about earlier where that's your problem, you haven't seen enough movies,
1: mm-hmm. I
0: immediately thought of you. It's mm-hmm. so, like I'm pretty sure Matthew would have said that exact line to me if he had thought of it. <laughs> and,
1: and it's quite an interesting character uh, because the movie does look absolute trash that we see. Like it looks like a very, very bad movie, but he has clearly yeah. been successful to some degree, so... But it it would be. I think all they're trying to show is that the movie is ultra violent without it being a legitimate movie, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Where's the money shot? <laughs> the brains on the window. <laughs> all right. Well, is there anything else that we need to discuss about Grand Canyon?
1: So I said earlier that Steve Martin wrote a film that is kind of the alternate side of Los Angeles. Um, I think that was where this suggestion came from. Was was doing them as a kind of twofa. So. One is a very gritty, real side of the city. One is the abstracted entertainment industry side of it and the ridiculous restaurants and cars and all this sort of thing. Do you think you could watch a silly version of Los Angeles at this time, also knowing that the city is like what we've just seen in Grand Canyon?
0: Sure, absolutely. Okay. Do you want to? Sure. Okay. I mean, especially that one came up in many of the definitive LA movie lists that I looked at, so mm. I'd be curious. Okay, and I I like Steve Martin, so if Steve Martin's involved, I have no doubt that I would en- enjoy it or at least not hate it.
1: That is, I think the one film he wrote that is not based on anything else that he didn't write with anyone else. I think. Okay. Is LA Story? Interesting. Mm. Okay, so we will we will keep it on the list. Yes. Um, And try to return to that at some point.
0: Yep. Cool. All right. Well, if you would like to join the conversation, you can use the hashtag PCDeprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at EloquentGushing. And you can find both of us on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay.
1: And I'm at Matthew Vose. We are 100% funded by listeners like you through Patreon. Anything you can give, even $1 a month, gives access to exclusive content, and it helps to support the network. To find out more, visit patreon.com slash gushing And don't forget to, to visit the homepage eloquentgushing.com where you can find all our other shows.
0: We'll be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay.
1: And am I the only one around who cares about the writing?
0: Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, please visit eloquentgushing.com.